Okay, so we're in part three of our Colossians series. Um, Basically, if I could sum up the book of Colossians, Paul is trying to say two things. He's trying to say that Jesus is the king, and then he's trying to say, will you make him your king? So there's a statement and a question in the book of Colossians. Jesus is the king, will you make him your king? And then he just, he makes the case in kind of three specific ways through this letter to the Colossians. And so the case he's making in chapter one, which we're still in this morning together, is that if you make Jesus your king, it's going to be powerful. It's going to be powerful. There's like these big concepts that he's talking about in chapter one. Um, If you've heard the last couple, they're really big. Maybe there's a few practical things, but they're more just these big ideas of who God is and what he wants to come do in our lives. Then in chapter two, Paul begins to unpack how if we'll make Jesus our king, it becomes very personal. He's personal. He knows us. He walks with us. And then finally, in chapters three and four, it's going to get really practical. Here's what it looks like in just practical, everyday situations when you put Jesus on the throne in your life. And so that's kind of where we're heading. So this morning, um, we're continuing in chapter one and looking at at what's powerful about Jesus being our king. Um, Week one, we looked at the reality of grace and the importance of how grace and truth are tied in together. And if we separate them, we're in trouble. If we walk around angry truth tellers that give no grace and no love, the world is without hope. We just, we batter them with something that isn't God's heart. But if we come over here and we communicate grace and love and we sort of hide or shift or change the truth, we're not offering real hope and real life. And so in Jesus, we have both grace in truth. That's what we talked about week one. Then last week, we talked about knowing and growing and how there's this incredible pattern in our lives where the more that we get firsthand experience with knowing God and walking with him, he teaches us things that we need. And every time that we do that, we grow a little bit. And then that growth, that process produces a little more knowledge, a little more wisdom, a little more understanding. And so we're in this continual growing process of getting to know him better and better and then watching him grow and change us. And if we were to take a snapshot in a moment, we would probably If you're like me, you tend to look at your life and go, man, I got a long ways to go still. You know, we look at like the moment that we're in. But if we could step back and see his perspective, he just sees this incredible transformation that is your life that's on display. And and he's with you and he loves you and he's excited to see that process unfold. And so God has knowledge, wisdom, and understanding that we don't have, but we can gain it from him by being in relationship with him. So that was week two. Now, today we're going to talk about light. We're going to talk about light. And so the title this morning is Let There Be Light. So if you can hang with me, we're going to read one long passage and then begin to unpack this a little bit. So first, or sorry, not first, just Colossians chapter 1. We're going to cover 10 verses this morning, verses 13 through 23. You guys ready for some reading? You tuned in? Yeah? All right. I'm not getting a lot of, like, confidence in that. I'm just so verbal. It's probably all my years of being a youth pastor. Like, I'm almost, I'm almost more comfortable when there's a lot of chatter than when it's quiet. So, all right, here we go. Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 13. This is talking about Jesus, and it says, um, it's, it's actually talking about the Father and his love for us. And it says, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son. If you miss the, the rest of the next 10 verses, they're all just unpacking how and why God does that. He is delivering us from the domain of darkness 
and he's transferring us into the kingdom of his beloved son. Some translations actually say kingdom of light there. From dark to light, that's the move. And so Jesus is the one in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And then Paul begins to describe this incredible picture of who God is. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created. He made everything in heaven, on earth, things we can see, things we can't see, the visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Okay, so there's an extra piece. He didn't just make everything. Everything was made for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So he made everything. Everything is for him, and then he keeps everything working, keeps everything running. He sustains it. And he's the head of the body, he, the church. So then he defines very specifically, he's the head of God's church, of all of us. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether in heaven or on earth, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he's now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, have become a minister. Whoa, that's a mouthful. Did anybody get all of that in one reading? That's a lot. The Bible uses a lot of different ways to communicate ideas, to communicate God's heart, to talk to us about ourselves. In some instances, the Bible will use a story We'll see Jesus maybe telling a story, telling a parable. Um, the Bible also might use story that's not like, a, like just a story to communicate an idea, but it's actual history, real things that people have gone through, right? I read the story of David and Goliath, and on one hand, I'm just learning a historical thing that took place. But I'm also learning principles about who God is and the life that I lead following him. And so God will use stories. He'll use history. There's poetry and songs in the scripture that communicate God in his heart and relates to us and how we feel in certain situations in life. There's even pictures in the scripture of just really practical tips. I mean, we'll get to that later in Colossians, right? Where it's just a list from one thing to the next. Here's how a dad can be a good dad. Here's how a mom can be a good mom. Here's how an employee can be a good employee. Just practical stuff. Well, this morning is a, a little bit different, a little bit unique. Because every now and then in scripture... Instead of teaching through practical details or a story, God will just give us a picture or an image. And at first glance, we could just kind of look at it and go, okay, I have a sense of what that is, and then move right along and miss it. But if we're willing to slow down, almost like if we were at an art gallery, and really just slow down and study the picture, we begin to see more and more coming out of that picture. So I sort of had this this thought in mind this, this morning as I was preparing for this, Um, Has anybody ever had, uh, probably when you were a kid, maybe as an adult, I don't know, one of those 3D art pictures? Do you guys remember those? I don't know if they make them anymore. It's probably very 80s right now. 
Do any of you guys even know what I'm talking about? Okay, you know what I'm talking about. All right. Right, it's that thing where you walk up to it. It doesn't look like anything. It's just these weird colors. It was always kind of like a bluish, purplish something. I don't know why they always had to be that color. But there's just kind of nothing there. It's just this weird pixelated thing. And so you come up to it and you stare at it. And it's like, I don't know if I'm supposed to focus really hard. Or other people say, don't focus at all. And have you ever stared at those and you never saw what was there? Anybody ever had that before? I've had that. When that happens, it drives me crazy. I'm like convinced everybody else is just messing with me, right? Like it's a big joke. Like we're all going to pretend we see something. Oh yeah, it's a spaceship. It's flying right at you. And don't you see the aliens over here? And you know, it's like, no way. You guys are completely making this up. But once you see it, like you can't not see it, right? Like once it's there, you just instantly, it's right there. You got it. Well, this morning, what we're talking about is it's kind of like that. I don't have like a three-point message. I don't have, if you take step one, two, and three, everything's going to be smooth sailing the rest of your life. It's nothing like that. What we're going to do this morning is just look at some some pictures in the scripture of of a thought, one simple thought that God is trying to communicate. And that is that he wants to move us from darkness to light. That's it. Sounds so simple. It sounds so great. Yeah, all too often in my life, this concept that I've heard a thousand times, that I, I understand how light works. I understand what dark is like. And yet for so many seasons of my life, I feel like I'm, I'm stuck groping in the dark. And so my hope this morning is that, that God could take this picture, and if we just stare at it for a little while, it would begin to just come leaping out of that frame where we just see it, and then we can always see it. That's, that's my hope this morning. So whether that happens or not, I don't know. I could tell you to try to focus really hard, or I could tell you not to focus at all. Maybe it'll just happen. I don't know. But we're just going to take a look at this picture. So the picture that Paul has just described is this this huge picture of Jesus. He's preeminent. He's the creator. He made everything. He holds everything together. He rules over it. And he says there's this, this effect that will happen when we recognize that he is the creator and we kind of let him in. And that effect is we will find ourselves moving from darkness into light. Now, he specifically is referring back to the creation story here in this passage. He's pointing back to Genesis. In fact, the very first verses in the scripture. And so we're going to look at a few of those this morning. So Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. So let's put ourselves on the scene. Man, everything is just black and empty. There's nothing there. And in verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Verse 3, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. Crystal's hung out with me before. She knew I was looking for for a verbal response. Let there be light, and there was light. It's that simple. God said it, it happened. Verse 4, and God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. 
All right, so there's this picture in verse 5, and it's this phrase that gets repeated throughout the rest of the creation process where God does whatever he did on that particular day of creation. He does the work that he's doing. And when it's done, there's this phrase, there was evening and there was morning, and that was the first day. Does that seem strange to anybody else besides me? I think of morning to evening, right? Like the night comes, midnight hits somewhere in the middle of the night, and now I've moved to the next day. It's morning then evening. Why is, why is this happening? Well, those words for morning and evening, we only later decided to call those words morning and evening. They, they meant dark and light. They meant chaos and order. That's what those words meant. And so through creation, what God is trying to communicate is I'm moving things from the chaos, formless, darkness, and void, and I'm moving them into a place of order and of light. I'm, I'm making things better. It's a really strange, interesting thing that he created, and there was like whatever there was, there was just kind of this lump of darkness. And God said, I'm going to do something incredible with this. I'm going to make something out of nothing here. But that's the process, that's the picture that's being painted, is moving from dark to light, from chaos to order, from evening to morning. Well, then we have this picture in verse 2. And it describes the earth as without form, void, and dark. And then it says something was hovering over that surface. Did y'all catch what it was? What's hovering over the surface? Spirit of God. It's like God's presence is just waiting to spring into action. I'm about to do something incredible. This, this stuff that looks like nothing. If there was anybody else here to watch this scene, they'd go, what are you going to do with that? It's a lump of nothing. It's void. It's dark. It's empty. What in the world? Why would you even make that? And God's like, just wait. Watch what I'm about to do. And he's hovering and he's waiting and he's about to spring into action. And then he does. And he moves from dark to light. I remember as a kid, um, having certain moments in my life where the dark was just scary. It was just scary. And for whatever reason, there is one particular night, I mean, I was probably seven, eight years old, something like that, I would guess. And I can, I can still like relive that night. And I'm, I'm laying in my bed and somehow I stir and I look over and over in the corner of my room, I mean, I see like a man standing there. I mean, I see like I can tell there's like a head there, there's arm, like there's a man in the corner of my room and I am terrified. I mean, I'm like, I'm shaking. I'm too afraid to call my parents. I'm too afraid to, to even like move. And so I just kind of am slowly doing one of these and I couldn't quite bring myself to do this because I felt like if I could see where he was like, okay, he's not getting any closer, but like I was terrified. I don't even know when I fell asleep. Now, in my mind, this was like hours and hours. As a kid, I probably woke up and three minutes later, I was back asleep, but I was terrified and it stuck with me. I don't know if any of you have ever had any of those experiences as a kid where you're just scared. So the next morning I, I wake up and immediately I realize, oh my gosh, I've fallen asleep. And I look over to the corner and it's a hoodie hanging on the end of a door. And the, my closet door had been open like this, and it was hanging on the door, and it was just draped, draped there. Now, I probably should have laughed, but like I just sort of felt relief, and then I felt stupid that I was tormented all night long because I hadn't bothered to just turn on the light. My mind leapt to the worst-case scenario of what was happening in that room, and I was terrified. I was terrified. I think I still do that. 
I think I still find myself in life feeling like I don't have any idea what I'm supposed to do right now. I just have a vague impression that something really scary is right over there and what in the world am I going to do about this situation? But we have a God who brings light into darkness. And when light shows up, it changes things. It reveals the reality of what's going on. That's who God is. He's a creator that brings light. And the amazing thing about light, God, God like invented the light switch. Did, y'all, did you ever think about that? Like we take it for granted when we hear dark to light. I mean, not about you, but what I picture is just being in a dark room and the light switch flips on and there's light. When this was written, that is not the process that brought people light. If it was dark outside, it was like, okay, we got to get the kindling. You know, we got to figure out how to start a fire here. Okay, we got to use this oil or we got to use this. And they had to go through a whole elaborate process to bring some light. And even then, I mean, picture like a lamp, like a lamp light or like just a little flame light. That, that is completely different than what electricity can do for us. If all we had is light in here this morning was like a torch that I had lit, I don't think we would be seeing very clearly in this room. So we can now look back on a story like creation, and we're not that impressed. You know, we're these Americans with our little light switch, and oh yeah, there was dark, there was light, no big deal. That was a big deal. God invented this. And he's communicating, when I show up on the scene, I can take darkness, and just like that, I can bring light. I can bring light. So we see this picture in Genesis And now think about Paul here. Paul is communicating that Jesus is the one who creates and that he wants to do the same process in our lives. He wants to move us from darkness to light. It's the very thing that John, the Apostle John was writing about when he sat down and he's like, okay, it's most likely that John's gospel was the last of the four written. And so John sits down and Okay, he's read Matthews, he's seen Luke's, he kind of knows they covered some basic stories. He's like, I'm pretty sure they got the shepherd and wise men thing covered. I'm pretty sure they got it covered where the angel showed up and talked to Mary. What am I going to write about? How am I going to start this story? And then however that unbelievable process works where God inspired holy men and God starts talking to him and just, he's just got that creative like, okay, this is it, and starts writing And this is what John does to describe Jesus crashing into our world. John chapter 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 5 and then 9 and 10. In the beginning was the word. What does that sound like? Sounds like Genesis, right? He starts it so similarly. He's intentionally connecting Genesis to Jesus showing up on the scene. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. How did God create? He spoke. Let there be light. Jesus, God's word in action. And the word was God. So he's making it clear. Jesus isn't just like some words that God speaks and he's different. He is God. They're together. We're not going to do a Trinity message this morning, but they're one. He was in the beginning with God. So he was right there when God says in the beginning. Verse 3, all things were made through him. Without him, not anything made that was made. Nothing was made that was made. He's like repeating what Paul was saying in Colossians. Verse 4. In him was life, and that life was what? The light of men. 
The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Other versions say could not comprehend it. The, the, the Greek word there kind of carries the weight of both of those things. It can't be overcome and the darkness really can't even grapple with it. It doesn't understand light. Light shows up, darkness just disappears. It's gone. Verse 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. So God creates. He speaks light into being. He moves things from chaos to order, from dark to light. And then something tragic happens in a garden thousands of years ago. And it's a tragedy that every human being repeats. And we choose dark over light. And the process gets reversed. We had light. We transferred from light into dark in exchange for having some fruit in a garden. And now we're all born into a world that has darkness. And Jesus comes on the scene into that dark world to say, I want to redeem. I want to reconcile. I want to do what I was doing at the beginning. I'm now going to do it in your world again. I'm going to move things from darkness into light. And so I'm going to come into your world and I'm going to be the light of the world. And in John, later in that same gospel, in John 8, 12, this is a verse that we read at the end of our story last week. It comes right after Jesus forgives the woman who was caught in adultery. He forgave her. He told her accusers, if you haven't sinned, go ahead and throw a stone. And they all walk off. And he looks at her and he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. I forgive you. I'm letting you off the hook. But I'm going to empower you to live your life in such a way that you can be free from sin. You don't have to keep repeating that, that pattern. The very next verse is verse 12. Then Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Light is available to those who are in darkness. Being in youth ministry for years, you know, we do a lot of things with teenagers that I just don't think you could talk a lot of like middle-aged folks into. I mean, I don't, I don't know how many 45-year-olds you're going to get to go to camp for a few days, to get out in the woods, to get bit by bugs, and to basically be torment, tormented with things like ropes courses. All right, it's just probably not going to happen. Now, I don't know if some of you can reckon back to maybe when you did participate in some of that stuff, but have you ever done any of those low ropes courses where like they're making you work with a team of people and you got to get from like this platform to that platform and there's one rope and you got to swing over and there's just all these things that they make you do. And I remember we were on this one trip and we took a bunch of high school boys and we were out this place called Narrowgate. You'll hear us talk about Narrowgate. It's an awesome ministry, but we're out there doing this camp with them. And we did this one thing with, with the guys where they were put in this maze and they were blindfolded. And it was like, okay, y'all are all in there, try to get out. And so they're blindfolded, they're in this maze and they're just walking around and I mean, they're, they're talking and they're frustrated and like time is passing and they're having trouble getting their way out and they're just, they're stuck. Well, here's the reality, the, the, the system was kind of rigged. There was no escape from the maze. It was, a, it was a closed loop. And so they're in their blindfolds and they're just getting more and more frustrated and more and more angry. And then the people that were kind of coaching this activity just keep asking them questions. What do you need? What do you need? 
what, what would help you right now? And so some of them are just like, you know, this is stupid and dumb and I want out of here. But some of them would, well, I, I need to be able to see. If I could just see, that would be all right. Or, um, man, if I could just have some help. That was our key word. If somebody asked for help, they were immediately helped. And someone would come over and take the blindfold off, follow me, and help them get out of the maze. Now, part of that probably was just, you know, we thought it'd be fun to torment some kids and drive them crazy. <laughs> you know, you got to have a little bit of that in you if you're in youth ministry for a lot of years. <laughs> but the truth is, we were trying to, to help them understand a concept that God's trying to communicate to us. You know, it sounds great to go, hey, when I'm in the dark, light is really nice. But God says that the world was dark and didn't see him, didn't recognize him. In fact, there's scriptures that talk about how um, we prefer the dark. We can get away with things in the dark. We'd rather the light not be shined. See, there's times where the light doesn't sound inviting. It sounds terrifying. I don't want anybody to see this. I don't want anybody to know about this. Or it just cuts against our pride. I don't want to have to ask for help. I've been learning my whole life that I just got to pull myself up by my bootstraps and press through. And it was funny. Usually the older the student was, the harder it was for them to ask for help. It was usually the ones that were getting closer and closer to 18 that just would not ask for help. And even when eventually we helped them, they were just mad. They, they couldn't understand the need to just say, I need help. Would somebody shine the light on this situation? The truth is, I'm like that. The truth is, I'm stubborn and I hold on to things. Or I want light over here, but I don't necessarily want it over here. And so I can try to live a compartmentalized life instead of just going, okay, God, here I am. I'm in darkness. I'm confused. I'm lost. I need help. Will you shine the light? I'm tired of groping around in the dark. You're the light of the world. Come shine your light in my life. See, the unique thing about how God creates new life, when he created this world, he just said things and they happened. But when he made Adam and Eve and he put them in a garden, he gave them a gift that he's given every human being, and that is the gift to choose. We're not robots. We're not forced to do anything. And so we get to say, God, let there be light. He gave us the ability to ask for it. But that same God, he's hovering just like he did over the dark and the form and the void. He knows. He knows what's dark and scary in your life. He knows what doesn't make sense. He knows where you're stuck and you're groping and you're confused. And he's hovering over that. He's like, if you will just invite me in, I'm there. I'm there. I'm the light of the world. I'll be the light in your world if we will decide to say to him, God, let there be light. This is the picture of the cross in Luke 23, verses 44 through 46. We see a pattern in Jesus' work that he came to do that reflects the work happening at creation. So here he is in the middle of being crucified. He's already gone through most of the things we would read about what happens to him physically and, and everything else. And he's nearing the moment where he's going to die. And several writers uh, of the Gospels talk about this, but we'll read Luke's. And in verse 44 it says, It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. 
while the sun's light failed. You know, I don't know if sixth hour and ninth hour means anything to you. That's not 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. This isn't a, a dark, rainy morning, and that's what it's talking about. Um, back in that time, they counted the hours by, the, by sunrise. So the sixth hour means the sun has been up for six hours. This is noon. This is the brightest, hottest, sunniest time of day. And the scripture, all these guys record it. It was dark from six the sixth hour to the ninth hour, noon to three. I mean, it's the middle of the summer right now. What are like the three hours you do not want to be outside? Noon to three, right? It's hot, it's sunny. I mean, even the best sunglasses, you just still feel it just beating on you. But something unbelievable happened. Jesus is on the cross and the sky goes dark. It says the sun's light failed. I, I don't know how that worked. I don't know how God did that. But this wasn't just a storm blowing by. These guys were saying something strange is happening here and the sky goes dark. In the midst of that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. There's a whole cool thing we could talk about there, but God is making it clear. The way to me is now open. Then Jesus called out with a loud voice and he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. The work that Jesus did for us started on the cross in darkness and it moved towards a Sunday morning. In the light of a new morning, he came bursting forth. And because he moved from darkness into light and he now lives eternally, we too can experience what it's like to move from darkness into light. And because on a day of darkness like that, Jesus committed his life into God's hands, if we will commit our life into God's hands, we will be transferred from dark to light. I'm going to pray for us in a moment this morning. And I'm just going to kind of pray something in general over all of us. But I just want to encourage you for just a minute. And um, I'm not one of those big, like, every head bowed, every eye closed. Um, but if it helps you just not be distracted to close your eyes for a minute, have just a moment with you and the Lord, you can, you can even now go ahead and do that if you'd like. But I, I just, I just want to give you some things to consider this morning. There, there's really just a simple question. Will you let there be light? Maybe that needs to happen in your life for the very first time. Like you just need to say yes to Jesus you're sick of groping through this life in the dark and alone. He loves you. And I can tell you when he turns the light on in your life, what you're going to see is he's there. He's there with you and he loves you. I also wouldn't be surprised if some of us find ourselves this morning in a very specific, particular situation that just feels dark. It may feel dark because you have a decision and you don't know what to do with it. It may feel dark because things have just gotten a little bit hopeless. You're feeling a little lost. Um, you might be struggling with a sin, honestly. You might feel like, man, this thing has just got me. I cannot break free of this, and I'm, I'm tired of it. Listen, it can, it can feel scary. It can hurt our pride. It can be intimidating to ask him to come and turn on that light, but it is the best thing for us. And so I would just encourage you this morning as I'm praying for a couple of moments, you talk to him. You can even tune me out if you want. 
you talk to him. Invite him into your life. Invite him into that particular situation. Let him know, God, I'm tired of groping in the dark. I want to see the light. Will you, will you guide me? Will you direct me? Will you help me? He will. He does. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your incredible plan of redemption. I thank you that you sent your son so we could be transferred from the kingdom of darkness into his kingdom of light. And in that kingdom, there is love. There is healing. There's forgiveness for sin. There's the ability to walk through this life in the middle of a world that still is dark, in the middle of circumstances that aren't necessarily going to change. But in the midst of that, God, you are there and you can shine a light and give us direction of how to walk. You can give us hope for the future. God, you can give us your presence near to us, even in the hardest situation. And so, Lord, I just pray this morning for myself and for my friends here, God, that that we would be willing to say, let there be light. And God, that you would bring light into our lives, into specific situations. God, I don't want to do all those usual caveats of, well, maybe it'll take a while or sometimes it's a process. Yes, yes, that's all true. God, I'm praying for your miraculous power to come and shine a light. God, that you would take that light switch and you would flip it in our hearts. We need you. We're desperate for you. Jesus, we thank you for your light and for your presence. Heavenly Father, it's in your Son's name we pray. Amen.